M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. Going to be seeing some stuff and you're going to fucking love it. This is M. Salation. What advice would you give your teenage self, Michael Lucas? You're gay. Well, it's pretty easy. <laughs> you can do it. If you're worried you can't do it, I'm here to tell you, you can. You can't be unhappy when you're stuffing that in your mouth. You're in Emsolation. And if that soundbite doesn't get used in our new intros, I don't know what is up or down. Hello, hello, friends. How are you? Are you good? Are you mediocre? Check in. Have a little look into your heart. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling... <laughs> I'm feeling like I need a stiff drink only because I've just finished with Michael Lucas recording the bit you're about to hear and let's just say I stood up twice, it got very passionate, I reenacted a press conference the way I think Dan Andrews should handle some journalists. It was pretty shouty. Anyway, it's fun. You're really going to love it. I have to say it's, it's intense. I um, wanted to let you know that on Friday morning, tomorrow morning, if you're listening on a Thursday straight away, I'm going to be on Studio 10. That's right, coming to you live from my house. Expect multiple dogs and children. Um, do you think it's okay if I wear sequins? I mean, cacti, didn't she? I won't say anything accidentally racist though. Um, yeah, so I think I'll go for maybe full glam. Let's give the people what they want. Full glam Friday morning, about 9.30 on Channel 10. And then on Monday night at 9.30 on Channel 10, my episode of Drunk Histories is airing. Now, I know a lot of you have already watched it on Template, but, you know, watch it again. Let's get those ratings up. Let's get them saying, oh, God, whenever M. Rustiano's on, the ratings skyrocket. <laughs> but if you haven't seen it, I retell the story of Dawn, Dawny Fraser, our, one of our greatest ever Olympians, stealing... Uh, a flag at the Tokyo Olympics, getting arrested, in fact. So um, enjoy that. It's very funny. I I will say that without being a wanker. It's super funny. If you don't know what Drunk Histories is, I basically went and was in a safe manner, served enough drinks that I was quite tipsy and it was only like two an hour and they had a nurse there. It was all cool, all supervised, all fine and never got out of control. I'm a two-pot screamer anyway because I have thin blood. (laughs) That's my theory, my scientific theory. Uh, so you get, you get, you know, you have some drinks and then you have to retell a moment in history in your own words. And then they take your story and make a bunch of actors speak your exact words. So you can imagine how hectic things got when I was retelling Dawn's story. Um, and some of the things that Erin McNaught, who plays Dawn Fraser, had to say, Peter Phelps, Phelpsy, is also in it. And they're all speaking my bogan, first-generation, wog, refined lady voice. <laughs> I flip in and out. Um, it's quite something and I think you'll all enjoy it. And your husbands, your partners, your men will enjoy it too. I know some people feel I'm just for, you know, a certain type of person, gay and ladies. <laughs> but the straight men will love this too. It's very jovial. So that's uh, – When's that? Monday night, Channel 10 at 9.30. Uh, I'm, I don't want to spend too much time here because what you are about to hear is, look, it's all the things. We talk Dan Andrews, we talk Paris Hilton, we talk Ellen's apology. And I was so keyed up. You know, for me, when I read a bit of content or see something, if it really it's, – it's like falling in love. I get this warm glow in my tummy and then it goes into my heart and then it goes – 
like into my mind and it just starts like pinging off like and I have to quickly write down everything like it might be jokes or it might be like it's this weird scientifically unexplainable frisson that happens between my gut and my heart and my brain and today those those three things aligned on Ellen, Dan Andrews and Paris Hilton. (laughs) Can you think of three more unlikely people? But that's what happened. Now, before you go, I want to put something in your heart and mind. Today, the 24th of September, if you're listening on the Thursday, is, uh, well, first of all, it's my Auntie Jo's 60th. Happy birthday, Auntie Jo. Woo, woo. No, I think she listens. Well, anyway, happy 60th. She's one of my favourite aunties. I have two favourite aunties, three favourite aunties, and she's one of them. Have I remembered all my aunties? Four favourite aunties. I have so many favourite aunties and she is one of them. But before you go, please may I have your attention. Like seriously, can you listen? 24th today is Young Care Giving Day and each week 42 young people with disability enter aged care. That's right. We're talking kids in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s. There's hardly any facilities for young people with disability to go into. So they go into aged care. And I think that needs to be changed. And, and a lot of people want it to change. So Young Care is aiming to make sure that no young person has to call an aged care home by 2025, but we need help. So today I need you to, if you can, whatever you can spare, you need to go and donate to Young Care. Now I will put all the links on the social media, on the Emsolation podcast social media, Um, But this is so important. We want to raise $300,000 and help create facilities for young people that are specifically designed for them because old people and aged care facilities are not, you know, they're not vibrant, loud, colourful places. It's a different time of life. There's different requirements so I, I, when I first heard about this, I couldn't believe it. I, mean, I just, it just seems so wrong. So if you can spare anything, whatever you've got, it's the Young Care Giving Day today and all the links will be on the Emsolation podcast social media, okay? Right, so you've got to remember to watch Studio 10 on Friday morning, watch Drunk History on Monday night, wish my auntie Joe a happy 60th and give to the Young Care Giving Day if you can. <laughs> There we go. All right, let's get into probably the most batshit crazy episode yet. Play the music. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. Okay, I'm going to take a bit deep breath because... I'm coming in at a thousand this morning. Um, Tony, our producer, and Michael Lucas, my co-host, have just copped <laughs> a response some- vomit from you, <laughs> overstimulated, <laughs> like a child on a sugar high. Only it's through going through clickbait that you've got to this stage. Oh, I'm on such a content high. Like I have so many unsolicited opinions ready to fly from every orifice. Like, <laughs> Sounds if terrifying. I could, if I could find a way to get voices to come out of my anus, I would because I feel like I need to be able to speak all at once through different holes with different opinions. <laughs> okay, we've got a lot to get to. We've got a lot to get to. Um, first of all, obviously, hang on, I've just got to... 
<laughs> Zed, Zed, Zed. Make Sorry. sure no opinions are leaking out the anus. <laughs> Hold it together, well, clench. Oh, God. Okay, I'm clenched. I'm burst. Um, obviously something that this podcast has been gently peppering through and touching on is what's been going on with Ellen. And you and I did bring it up kind of back in April when the worst of the reports surfaced, saying that she um, was the helm of a toxic work environment, of this um, bad behaviour going on by producers, by executive producers. A lot of former employees, disgruntled former employees came forward and just said it was a, it was a rubbish place to work. Mm. And um, things just kept coming out about her. And finally, finally, this week, you have all heard and seen Ellen got up on the first show back kind of since they've been in lockdown with COVID and Gave an apology. Of sorts. Of sorts. I have thoughts. Let's have a little listen to some of Ellen's apology. As you may have heard, this summer there were allegations of a toxic work environment at our show. And then there was an investigation. I learned that things happened here that never should have happened. I take that very seriously and I want to say I am so sorry to the people who were affected. I know that I'm in a position of privilege and power, and I realize that with that comes responsibility, and I take responsibility for what happens at my show. First of all, I want to address the outfit she chose. Of course you do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but walking out in all white with (laughs) with a denim bottom, fair enough, but the white collared shirt with the white cashmere jumper and the white fitted, I'm assuming, Tom Ford jacket. No, And as we know, if you go into court, you get told by your lawyer to wear white or blue because it is a, is a projection of purity and innocence. You know, or well, surrender. <laughs> Could be surrender. Well, Maybe that's what she was communicating. All, it, well, no, I don't think it was a surrender because – Anyway, so she walks out and straight away I'm offside because she's in all white. Mm. <laughs> like what are you doing, getting baptised, sacrificing yourself? <laughs> and so the thing for me with the apology, the, the big problem I have, and, and I've got a two-part opinion and problem, and they are in opposition to each other and completely hypocritical, but that is, as is my prerogative and will. Oh, can't wait. First of all, my opinion is that it was rubbish how she distanced herself from blame. Basically, like that was the most obvious thing. So also the audience that she was delivering this apology to in studio were massive screens Mm. of her most ardent fans. These were hardcore Ellen fans and they're on these huge screens and that's what she was standing in front of. And they'd sort of zoomed in so their faces completely filled the big LED screen. Yeah, and they were, you know, the crowd that would definitely get up and dance when she comes out. They were sympathetic faces. What I wanted was an up close on all the employees that had dubbed her in. (laughs) That's what I wanted. Because if you're going to do a fucking apology, you hire in Spielberg. You do an apology. You make it. You have a soundtrack. You have a score. And you get out there and the first thing you say is, guys, I fucked up. That is what that is what an apology is for me. It is accepting blame. And she didn't do that. And this is the first time since April that she's addressed it publicly. And she had an opportunity to say something like, I don't know, for all this time I have 
I've had this idea and this facade of niceness, but there is no way one human being can be nice all the time. I am flawed and I allowed my flaws to be hidden away so that I could hide under this umbrella of niceness, but that is not sustainable and I fucked up. Like that's that's what she needed to do. Then she gets out from the pressure of always having to be fucking nice. And well, she dancing. did address her niceness. She did say that that was sort of the label that had been given to her. But oh, she, she did says- it. But she sort of said, "Sometimes I get impatient. Sometimes I get." It was very. It was pretty mild. It was oh. pretty. It was sort of. Yeah, she 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 listed a lot of traits that you can't blame anyone for having, and obviously not the kind of traits that would cause this sort of staff <laughs> uprising. So it's that true. did feel. Like a dodge. Like it it did feel a little bit like lip service, I guess. Total dodge. Also, the the idea of taking responsibility but in the same breath saying I was unaware it was happening is not taking responsibility. That for me is like fucking hell, Ellen. Give yourself – do yourself a favour, bish. You, You don't need to add that second part. You just need to say I take responsibility for what was happening in my house. That's it, man. Do you know what I mean? No, I get it. Yes, for sure. I mean, she could have come out and said something sort of like, you know, there was a culture of I, I could understand it if she framed it like I was always determined on this show being the way that I want it to be and and I put pressure on people and and I, you know, and the way that I set the bar created a culture of of um of meanness that was permeating or, or however she wanted to say it, but it did sort of feel like, oh, I took my eyes off the ball and there were bad things happening just out of my sight. It just felt like a PR 101 celebrity catastrophe band-aid where you stay silent, then you apologise without accepting blame, and then you say you're going to fix it. And then let's all move on. I, I, I feel like it was a, I feel like it was sort of a, she took us to a sort of a 55 to 57% when we needed a solid 90. That, that's how <laughs> it was. But also the other thing is people were really angry at her for the jokes peppered throughout. Well, how did you, what did you think of the jokes? Uh, unnecessary. This is the Ellen DeGeneres show. I am Ellen DeGeneres. My name is there. My name is there. My name is on underwear. Right. Uh, I yes. know that I, I just feel like, and as, as Hannah Gadsby pointed out in Nanette, comedians often feel that need to build the tension and then when it gets serious, you break the tension. You put everyone else at ease. Mm. And I think she was doing that for herself. And I think this was one point in time where I wanted a Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind performance from Ellen. Do you know what I mean? Like – I didn't want a Jim Carrey, the mask peppered in. I wanted <laughs> Jim Carrey, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, or a Truman Show, Jim Carrey. That's what I wanted from her. There didn't need to be jokes. They just didn't need to soften it because I'm sure the people who have suffered from this didn't laugh. So, no. And I think it was too long. What was it? What's your contradictory side? If you what's the, what's the flip side? If she were a man, this shit wouldn't happen. <gasps> I was waiting for that one. Yeah. There's no... Do you know, oh, I don't even know how to say this without. Do you? (laughs) Where are you going? I'm seeing you. You're teetering around. There's a cliff in front of you. You're looking and going, could I I navigate it on this angle? What? What? Just say it. There are still right now in, in the industry many, many toxic workplaces helmed by men that Nobody bats an eyelid at, that people are a part of, that people enable. 
And I have been a part of a few organisations where the shit that's gone on at the Ellen Show is nothing. Yeah, yeah. Compared to the things. And I know you have witnessed some stuff in your time and dealt with some stuff in your time that if the press did an Ellen-style investigation, things wouldn't be so good for a few people. So for me, I just think because she's a very powerful woman and people expect women to be nice and nurturing and make sure things are okay for everyone and if there's the idea that she's some, you know, worst case scenario, she's this dictatorial leader of a billion-dollar company that fucking says, don't look me in the eye and all the worst things, just say. Mm. Like there are men who legitimately do that. And have been doing that since the beginning of the entertainment industry. And Mm. I just think because she's a woman and not being that soft, subservient caretaker that people want to believe all women are, I think people feel like she has to be put back in her place. Yeah, well, let's amplify it. It's like that Gillard quote that it doesn't, the fact that she's a woman and a gay woman as well doesn't explain Mm. everything that's happened to her, but it doesn't explain nothing either. It's it's almost (laughs) like it. People, certain people feel more permission to join Mm. the pile on. Yeah. Do you think she'll recover? Do you think the show will get oh, back to where it she'll was? she'll recover. Yes. Yes. She'll recover. I mean. But will you watch? Nah. Ah. Oh. I don't know. I've never, I've always found Ellen disingenuous. I've never been an Ellen fan. I'm, an, I'm a fan of Dory in Finding Nemo. I think she's a great <laughs> voice actress. Hi, I'm Dory. Ellen's show is not something, I don't watch the clips from it. I don't know. I mean, I don't wish ill on her. I'm I'm sad this has happened to her. I'm 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 so, I'm sorry for all the people that felt hard done by and and obviously the things that are said to have gone down are horrific and I hope those people are looked after and everything's okay. And I'm I'm not saying none of it happened. Um but yeah, I I'm not a I wouldn't call myself an Ellen fan, no. I wouldn't. No, no, I don't really watch that show either. I mean, she'll always have her place in kind of gay history for being the first, one of the first major TV stars to come out in the way she did. Mm. And, you know, and, and she was part of, in the 2000s, she was just part of that sweep of Will and Grace being on TV and her being on daytime and that sort of shift in the attitude towards mm. gay rights and gay people mm. in general in the States, which is, you know, you can't really take that away from her, but it is hard to pass with all of the... I know. With all the stuff that's come out now. But, I mean, I was even, and we'll, and we'll talk about this a bit later on, I was I'm watching a few clips of David Letterman. He's he's a foul old man. Yeah, totally. He Passive is aggressive. I know. Passive. He got it. And, and also he was, wasn't he like cheating on his wife yes. with young staff members and everything like that? Yes. He's still, a, he's still received as like a cuddly old grandpa. Yeah. We all but, love and, him. And I watched him uh, talk about Paris Hilton's sex tape because we're going to talk about that soon. I watched the Paris Hilton documentary. He's, she was an 18-year-old girl. He's disgusting the yeah. way he talks about it. And he was notoriously grumpy to work for. Nobody could approach him. Stuff that was supposedly allegedly going on behind the scenes at the Letterman show, I think pales in comparison. I, I mean, the, the, like, it, I mean, you know what I mean. It was worse than what sounds like was going on at Ellen. So I just feel like the double standard is a bit gross. But having that said that, I'm not diminishing the experience of her staff members and, and what apparently went down. I think everybody needs to check themselves in this no situation. No wonder you're exploding. You've got contradictory Sorry. opinions coming I out do. both ways. Both of them so deeply felt. They are. But I constantly have contradicting, contradicting emotions. <laughs> She's tongue-tied. She can't even... 
Because, you know, back when I started doing radio like 16, 15 years ago, I had very polarising opinions and I was very stuck to them and I would never kind of give the light of day to the other side. I was mm. so strong and staunch in what I believed. But then as I've gotten older and less afraid of being wrong and wanting to learn more, I realised things are nuanced and I was such a black and white person in my early days and now I'm just like every colour of the fucking rainbow. And <laughs> I understand that there is two, always, you know, a few sides to a story and you have to go and deep dive into the other side to truly know that your side, that what you believe is sound so often when I go look at the other sides of things, I'm like, oh, fuck, okay, yeah, that's a point. So, mm. <laughs> no, so complexity is so annoying, isn't it? I know. But also these situations are contradictory as well. Like even in times where I have worked in, you know, with, with bosses that are incredibly demanding and some would say, like it's always so nuanced. Some people are saying that's an abusive person and other people are saying that's a person who knows how to get things done. And it's just everyone has a different experience of it and and it's just, just insomnia-inducing complexity. But it is. But, again, and, I, and I'll say it um, – when it's a man being directive and telling you what he wants and oh, being yeah. very good sure, leader. good leader. But when it's a woman saying, no, I don't want to do that, I'd Burn like to do it this way. the stake. Correct. And, yes, I'm biased here because I have been at the receiving end of that kind mm. of feedback because I am someone who is very forthright and saying what she wants to do and what she won't do and um, that makes people uncomfortable because that's not what women are meant to do. We're meant to be you know, smiling and waving. Speaking of what women are meant to do. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine Andrews, I've become in the last 24 hours obsessed with Dan's wife, Catherine Andrews, who is the director of the Indigenous Cultural Program. She's a writer and editor and a historian with a master's in public history. Looks like Nina from Offspring. (laughs) Looks like Nina from Offspring. She's a badass bitch. Did you say she'd had a haircut recently? No, she gave Dan a haircut. God, this oh, is how ridiculously gave- involved oh. we are with this pe- with these now, people. We have been me. in lockdown for too long. <laughs> Did she give Dan a haircut? He had to go out and explain at the press conference because everyone was going to catch that he'd had a haircut. And as we know yes. from Nancy Pelosi's experience, if you get an illicit haircut, you're going to be in trouble. And so he had to come out and go, I just want to say that uh, Catherine gave me my haircut today before you all speculate. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, and t- 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 I good job, that. Catherine. Good job. I, I mean, it, he doesn't. That. He's not taking risks with his hairstyling. Let's face it. But nor do we want him to. Oh, I think it's pretty tough. He's got a very severe cowlick at the front. I've noticed. And my husband Scott, I cut his hair over the weekend. Also, it must have been the weekend for it. And um, my, he also has a bit of a cowlick like Dan. And God, you just don't. You just don't want to attack that at the wrong angle, or it's just not good. It's something about Mary at the front for five, like for another couple of weeks if you fuck up the cowlick. So I feel I like she, he's also got a unique head shape. Yeah, true, 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 true. Um, <laughs> I missed that part of the press conference, but I did catch oh wait what's the protocol in discussing men's bulges in their pants like (laughs) like i just and in we're just saying we're not talking about dad andrews no 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 but can you know the 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 hot oslang is it i don't know how to approach this but everyone's noticing it but then i don't want to like be objectify someone, a public but servant I, who's doing their best I, to provide a service for the deaf. But then I feel like women have been objectified forever. And 
if a woman went out there with the equivalent breast um, prowess, is that the right word? <laughs> I don't. I think you've invented a term. But frankly, I, I do. I want you to. I want you to either record an album or write a novel called Breast Prowess. It's hard to say. <laughs> breast Prowess. Oh, it's a real tongue twister. Breast, breast Prowess. Prowess. Look, just set the scene by saying, as Melburnians, we are stuck watching these press conferences day after day after day. They're on every single day where there is some Stockholm Syndrome. We're noticing everything. And (laughs) when we say everything, we mean everything. It's generally a wide shot so you can see the full body of the Auslan interpreter. And there is a very attractive Auslan interpreter. And Keep going. And (laughs) some have (laughs) noticed... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that he's bringing a lot to these press conferences, a great deal. He's delivering goods and services. <laughs> Hang on. Look, you just need to play the grab. Play the grab yeah, of the – this is someone commentating yep, yep, watching yep. the TV. So you have yep. a little listen. I think that yep. will say it all. Yeah, this is, this is a guy watching – the person we're speaking about at home. We had just a few cases. Jesus fucking Christ. It's fair dinkum. He's fucking rock hard. Or he's not. Imagine 8-inch softy. Okay, so good. We don't have to say it. Someone else has said it. Um, so we're dealing with um, schlong, 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 schlong. And <laughs> what an amazing <laughs> code you introduced there. Thank God. Thank God you sailed around <laughs> being too crude with that one. <laughs> Well, I just, I, I mean, we also, be, before we move on to Paris. But, yeah, are you going to make your magical unicorn of death prediction? Yeah. Well, this is a good one. I mean, Dan Andrews, there is no way he's not moving to federal politics. He's a Damn. rock star. And we haven't had a rock star since Kevin Rudd in 2007, which is a weird thing to say about a guy who once threw a hair a hairdryer at someone because it wasn't the right one. Well, no, actually, that does seem pretty rock star to me. Yeah, <laughs> What I do guess. you want from your rock stars if they're not throwing hairdryers across the room? But as, as, you, as your favourite genre of human is um, nerd rock nerd. star. Oh, yeah, oh. Well, no, well, nerd rock star. Besides, yeah. yeah, gay, throwing gay, that's amazing. But a, a nerd rock star on the up and up is an exciting category of human. And that is what we're experiencing right now. He's got a cool, he's got a cool wife. He's Very a cool, cool wife. But a cool I wife. think it's also, I mean, and anyone who is watching this Murdoch doco on the ABC will know that normally when Rupert Murdoch's papers turn against a leader, it is a matter of time until they are killed. And I mean, politically. Yeah. And they turned on him so hard, mm. so hard. Like I've never seen a more united front of just shit canning him every single day. Can and I give you a headline? Example? I'll go. Dictator Dan trying to build a COVID gulag. <laughs> That's balanced. No, I mean, how dare anyone say that, uh, you know, op-eds are masquerading as factual news? That's a disgrace. And by the way, the gulag was the government agency in charge of the Soviet network of forced labour camps set up during Stalin's time. So, you know, it might be a little overstatement. <laughs> Might be, might be just a little bit. But, yeah, he's really got under their skin and no matter what they do, mm. it doesn't – His the latest polling that's come out, he has not been affected. He's nah. still sitting in the 60s no matter what yep. they throw at him. It, there's, it's been so long since there's been anyone that has had that kind of resilience in the face mm. of it all. It's and, mm. and then recently there was a bit of a, you know, I mean, Elbow's not doing so great in the polling and there was elbows a lot out. of polls like who would you like to yep. see take over the Labor federally and Penny 
Wong romped it in, but mm. in pretty competitive second place was Dan Andrews. 100%. I mean, and Penny's in the Senate and saying she's not ever, she doesn't want it. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I, I mean, 100% Dan Andrews will, I, I, he's going to replace Albo. I do believe that. I do wow, believe that. there we that. go, magical unicorn. Yeah, she has spoken. Speaking of magical. She has spoken. Speaking of magical unicorns, Paris Hilton. Wow. Yeah. I've, and also speaking of speaking of human clickbait, <laughs> which Dan clearly is, yeah. as anyone who's clicked on articles about his horoscope or about his body language, there's been articles about them both. <laughs> but Paris was the original yeah. human clickbait. I know. Well, she started it all. She was the, kind of the first ever influencer, 100%, yeah. and, the, and apparently invented the selfie as well. Well, she was kind of doing King Kardashian before King Kardashian Well, too. King Kardashian says in this documentary that's on YouTube, it's had like almost 9 million views, um, that she is who she is because of Paris. Like mm. Paris showed her the way. And this documentary is, I want to just state from the offset, one of the saddest things I've ever sat through. It is very, like, she does seem to have a deep unhappiness. She, down to her bones, is a sad, sad girl. Sorry, I'm so used to, like, playing a character that it's, like, hard for me to, like, be normal. No one really knows who I am. I'm always putting on this facade or just, like, happy, perfect life. Have fun. Are you happy? Sometimes. Oh, my God. I don't even know where to start. But just after I watched the docu- the Gaga documentary, I felt the same way. I felt her intense loneliness permeating through my laptop. I I just wanted to give her a hug and just I, I genuinely – she evoked maternal instincts in me watching her and she also seems to be about six people rammed into one tiny body. True. But d- didn't you also have moments where you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like many moments for me. Like the biggest one for me was when like they were, her and her sister were having a chat about the schedule and she was going on about everything. And then the bit where she was like, I just can't stop until, until I make I'm a billion dollars. I just can't. I'm like, well, okay, yes. there's your problem. Yes. That's ridiculous. Take a fucking holiday. If you are insomniac and you're driving yourself to the brink, you, you can you can handle not cracking that billion before you're 40. You'll I, be fine. I know, but, I yeah, I mean, if you want to be a superficial asshole about it, as you are being, then yes. But <laughs> I felt, I mean, obviously I was pretty keyed up after all the Dan stuff and all the um, Ellen stuff. And the Ellen stuff. Because uh, you are ping-ponging between yeah, three very different personalities I here. know, but... On one hand, again, conflicting. On one hand, I was like, oh, mate, you're, you're right. You're a very privileged white woman who's very, very wealthy, um, you know, who's very, very successful. It's cool. But if you take away all of that shit and you strip it down to just me observing another human, yeah. she, I really, she is so damaged and so... Uh, unevolved and hasn't like she's frozen in time at sixteen. That and mm. that when she was at the height of her fame and the height of, uh, I guess, her happiness. And before everything went shit to shit, she got sent to that military school where she was, spoiler alert, treated very badly, abused, physically yes. abused. The Provo Canyon School. She does a sort of a little sit down with other survivors. Oh, the this survivors. Was like, a, was like a mega, because she was a bit wild. It was like a mega strict reform boarding school but that the, they put her in. Her mother put her in. She got kidnapped in the middle of the night. Yeah, it's, it's insane. 
Something happened in my childhood that I've never talked about with anyone. I just heard screaming, bloody murder. But I couldn't tell you guys because every time I tried, I would get punished by them. I still have nightmares about it. Here we are at Paris' school. And the only thing that saved my sanity was thinking about who I wanted to become when I got out of there. Kathy and Rick Hilton allowed two burly strange men to come and grab their daughter from her bedroom in the middle of the night as a 17-year-old, didn't warn her about it, didn't talk about it, and then she was taken to an unknown place where she was put in solitary confinement, where she was drugged up, where she was physically and mentally abused, and they thought that was a good idea? They thought handling the situation, <laughs> hashtag good parenting. There were no the hashtags fuck? back then. That for me was the biggest, oh, you fucked your kid for life. I mean, really, every problem that I saw through the rest of the documentary stemmed back to that moment. And uh, the other thing, obviously, now that we look back on, even though it was only 15 years ago or whatever, but the sex tape. She was 18, I mean, Michael. You, she was yeah, when you see it through a 2020 post-Me Too lens, that was fucked up, the way the world so dealt up. with that. That was a teenager. It was against, that tape leaked totally against her consent. The whole world made jokes mate, about her. It was horrible. Mate, I have an 18-year-old daughter. And I can oh imagine oh, oh. how devastating oh. it would be. And that boy, that guy, the boyfriend, what a creep. What a Oh, absolutely. Absolute. Rick, what's his name? Rick Salomon or something? Yeah, Rick Salomon. What a <laughs> Like, <laughs> honestly, he's a scumbag. And, and she was a teenager and she was like – and the way that, like we said, David Letterman did his whole opening monologue, oh, I've watched it, I've watched it a lot, I bet you have, you super creep. And, mm. and all the headlines and the way Nikki, her sister, talked about getting up super early because so, they lived at a hotel and everyone's newspapers were out the front of their doors and she was front page. She'd get up early and flip all the newspapers over so her family wouldn't see it when they got up. Like, Yeah. I mean, it made you really feel how traumatising that whole thing would have been. As much as people like to say, well, she used it and she, and actually the, I forgot that the secret life was out before then. Mm. She was already mm-hmm. So she said, she said, people said I'd leaked it deliberately, but I was already on my way. I already had a successful TV show. I'd already started, you know, making my own money. I didn't need to do this. I didn't want to damage my brand. I knew the direction I wanted to go in. Having said that, like on one level, I think what was weird for me about the documentary is on one level she's unpicking, you know, this is the facade I put up. Mm. This is the... But, you know, going about her day-to-day life, she's still <laughs> maintaining <laughs> the exact same persona and everything yes. that she always was. And, and that yawning unhappiness, I think that's what I was finding tricky about it was just True. I, I, you, you, uh, it feels like you've got enough perception yep. to see what is making you really unhappy and yet you're still doing it. You're still, you're still, you're still on that treadmill and, and I, I don't know, I think she's in a position where she can take herself off if it's, if it's. But I understand why she stress. doesn't because she derives all her self-worth from that, all of it. Mm. That's all she has. She's so lonely and so desperately unhappy that she she said that her those two fans she's got these two uh, little Hiltons. oh I know and I wanted that they just seemed like they really loved, they her, loved that boyfriend her. as well the fight oh, with the boyfriend the boyfriend is foul but also how she was having to put cameras in her bedroom because she didn't trust him while she was away <sighs> but for me like the, the the notion of I have to make a billion dollars and then I'll be happy I mean she's not going to be happy. 
She's never going to be happy. No. And if this documentary illustrates anything, like money and fame and all of that, I think as we've all known deep down, it doesn't mean anything if who you are when you go to sleep at night, you, you're crying yourself to sleep. And that is what she appears to be doing every night. So, yeah, on one hand you could be an asshole about it or a real pragmatist and be like, oh, for fuck's sake, get it together, stop working, go to a counsellor, do your shit. But then on the other hand, the more human side of me, again, complicated, contradicting, says <laughs> I understand especially I do relate to deriving self-worth from work and from um, the adulation you get when you do a good job and from people patting you on the back, especially if you've sometimes felt like you're never going to measure up. I spent a lot of my adult life feeling like I was never good enough and then – the fear of stopping work is just like, oh, fuck, <laughs> what am I then? Who am I if I'm not working? So, Well, I guess as particularly if your entire self-worth is just simply the amount of attention you get. That's it. And that's not all Not even been. really creative work. I mean, I know she's a DJ. <laughs> well, she did have, before we sign off, she did have a Katy Perry and Rio moment. It's a Paris Hilton in Belgium moment. And we yes. did briefly mention the boyfriend. They're having this horrible screaming match before she's about to play the biggest gig in her life, screaming, fighting, physical. She's trying to rip his artist pass from his wrists. <laughs> that's right, which seems like such a severe moment. Get rid of his artist pass. <laughs> that's the biggest drama that could happen. Well, she this. did say that. I really regret that because one of the meanest things you could do to anyone in their life is rip their artist's passes from their rest. I'm like, I don't know if it's the meanest, but yes. But yeah, so they're getting up there. He's grabbing her. He's got his hand on her. And then she just goes out and she just kills it on stage, you know? Pressing those well, buttons yes. and pulling them. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Turning, That's very gallant of you as a professional musician. <laughs> turning the volume up and down. someone who is essentially pressing a button. But yes, no, no, good she's got to plug her USB in. Of course. She's got to. And the weird thing is, like, I saw it sitting there on YouTube and I just thought, trashy reality, whatever. It is actually a relatively serious observational documentary. It is. It's crazy. I didn't laugh once. I didn't. No. It's also profoundly depressing. Like, you walk out of that just feeling empty and sad. I did. But I I also felt like she's exactly who I thought she was. Like, I, I always assumed that that facade of that's hot and all that stuff was a bit of a facade. But I think some of the facade, some of the character, the shield, her Sasha Fierce, the, the frontline Paris, I think some of it has leaked into her psyche. And I think sometimes she flips in and out of it without even realizing because it's mm. almost like a comfort numb place for her to become that vacuous, that's hot girl is yeah, a place can't hurt her it's there. safe. Because when she flips back into real Paris, it's it's really she's hurting. So I wonder if eventually she'll disappear into that's hot Paris forever. I mean, when she gets older, you know what I mean? Like, who knows? <laughs> the way you will eventually be in turbans and just throwing Perhaps. away camp one-liners, drunk on gin. Anyway, I think. Watch the documentary. I mean, anyone who was our age. So this, she really hit prominence when I was in my early 20s. Yeah, she was living a very, very contrasting parallel life to us. Yes, she was. And and I remember I've never been one to, I, I didn't hate her. I didn't like bag her or anything. And 
I thought she was entertaining on this on the simple, simple life. life. She was. I just was interested. She was a cultural phenomenon. She was the first of her kind. It was almost like watching a new zoo animal. You know, it was like this. What? Mm. Where is? How is this going to end? Like, where is she going? And now I watch this. It's kind of affirmed all the stuff I suspected was going on for her. So I really, if, if you don't like her or you do like her, you're not going to come away probably feeling any different. I mean, I did the stuff with the boarding school and the ripping her out of bed in the middle of the night really affected me. Like I wanted to slap. And also for Real Housewives of Beverly Hills fans, Kyle's in there for a little second. <laughs> whoop, whoop. That was fun because Kyle is Paris's auntie. Um, so, yeah, but there you go. Jeez, I'm exhausted, guys. I'm going to have to have a nap. <sighs> it's been a big ep. All right. <laughs> well done. Thanks. You've got opinions out of your mouth. We've had I'm sorry if it was very intense. Some removed via cesarean, oh. <laughs> but they're all delivered now. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, everyone listening. I just, I just really had a fireball in my stomach. That I've, it's dissipated now. It's just a nice warm glow. Then <laughs> we just send good thoughts and love to Ellen and Paris and Dan Andrews. <laughs> sure. And if Dan ever wants me to, to um, sub in off the bench for a pressy, Presser. Oh, man, I would pay good money for it. I'm up for that. You, what's your question? No, that's stupid. Fuck off. What do you want? Yeah, where are you from? The Australian. Oh, it doesn't matter what the fuck I say. You'll write whatever you want. Piss off. Next. That's how I would run a press conference. (laughs) If only we had the kind of US style when he does become Prime Minister, you could be the equivalent of, of, you know, CC on West Wing going out. I would be an amazing press secretary. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want to ask him? Now, that's not going to even get a fucking answer. So either do better or get the fuck out of my press room. Like I you, It would be an absolute scorched earth policy. You would probably, I would say you would laugh last half of one press conference nah. and then go directly <laughs> to Dancing with the Stars. And perfect. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Dilemma Doctors on Friday, which is very exciting, our first one. Um, you and I have already kind of solved it and there are very differing opinions. Well, I would say that, yeah, by definition then we haven't solved it. You We've did. given two different pathways. <laughs> so that's coming out on Friday. It's a goodie. It's good. Nah, you solved it. I just probably muddied the waters. But, oh, well, okay, sarah, sarah. All right. Oh, mate, I really go after have after. What's the time? Can I have a gin? No, it's only 10.40. <laughs> All right. Talk soon. Talk soon. Bye. This is Emsolation. How are you feeling? <laughs> I get very passionate about things and they just come shooting out of me like beams of weird light. And now I genuinely think I'm going to have to go over the light down. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the things Um, and also all your lovely, beautiful messages that we get sent. They do get passed on to me. The bad ones are filtered out because my team know very well that I will obsess over them. So those kind of feedback is just given as suggestions, but all the good ones do come through and they're so lovely and I'm just – it warms my heart to think that this podcast helps some of you escape, you know, have a little laugh and – Stand in some light for the day. So I love that. Have a great day, whatever you're doing. Uh, If you're listening on the Thursday straight away, don't forget tomorrow we have our very first Dilemma Doctors segment. (laughs) Yeah, we just thought it probably needed its own whole episode. 
there's an amazing theme song that I've worked very hard on. It took way longer than actually recording the segment did. Uh, our first dilemma is great. It's a doozy. Um, and remember, the pettier the better for Michael and I. This one revolves around how to tell your partner they're bad at giving gifts, okay? Michael and I had two very different points of view. If you would like the Dilemma Doctors to help you with your dilemma, remember hello at mrussiano.com. All right, well, that's coming out tomorrow. Thanks, guys. I appreciate your ears. Bye. A Podcast One production.